Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we will be discussing mucormycosis and fungal infection in patients with COVID-19 in India. With us today, we have Dr. Elon Schwartz, Assistant Professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alberta, as well as Dr. Andre Speck, Associate Director of the Infectious Diseases Clinical Research Unit, Director of the Invasive Mycosis Clinic, and Assistant Professor of Medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. Both of our guests are members of the Mycosis Study Group and fellows in the European Confederation of Medical Mycologists. Thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Schwartz, we hear a lot about mucormycosis and the number of COVID-19 patients in India who are contracting this illness. First, can you tell us what mucormycosis is? Mucormycosis is a devastating fungal disease that's caused by ubiquitous environmental molds called mucorales. All of us all over the world are probably inhaling spores from these fungi every day, and the immune system is typically able to render these harmless. In the setting of immune deficits, these fungi can invade into tissue and cause serious disease. In North America, we most commonly see pulmonary or disseminated mucormycosis in patients with hematologic malignancies and stem cell or solid organ transplantation with high case fatality rates. Another fearsome manifestation is rhino-orbitocerebral mucormycosis, in which the fungus invades sinuses and into bone, eyeballs, and eventually brain. Most commonly, we see this in the setting of poorly controlled diabetes and specifically diabetic ketoacidosis. Management requires aggressive debridement, which can be extremely disfiguring, but it is life-saving. This really is a highly fatal, highly morbid, dehumanizing and debilitating disease and one of the most fearsome infectious diseases known. Can you tell us more about the symptoms of mucormycosis and how it's affecting patients in India? In India, it is the rhino-orbitocerebral forms of mucormycosis that predominate. The symptoms depend on the exact sites of fungal invasion, but typically presents with orbital or facial pain and edema, unilateral nasal blockage, foul nasal discharge, visual changes, necrosis of the skin or the mucosa, sometimes loosening of the teeth, and ultimately altered mental status. So even before COVID-19, the incidence of mucormycosis in India was extremely high, as much as 70 times higher than the global average. The reasons to which this was attributed were the, the tropical climate that favors environmental fungal growth, and which results in high concentrations of spores in the outdoor and indoor environments, in addition to high and growing rates of poorly controlled diabetes on the subcontinent. With COVID-19, though, the rates of mucormycosis have truly become astronomical. In just May and June this year, there have been over 40,000 cases reported by the government. Some hospitals have gone from seeing one or two cases a week to having over 500 cases admitting at a given time just with mucormycosis. And Dr. Speck, can you tell us more about unique factors in India that have contributed to this spike in cases? One of the most important things about India is that it has a very high background rate of, of mucor. Uh, it's about 70 times that of the rest of the world before any of this started. On top of that, there has been some epidemiology that appears to be relatively unique to the area 
of very high use of steroids. And when these steroids are being used, they're being used at much higher doses than what we're seeing in the, the trials. This all is on top of that compounded with the high rate of recognized and unrecognized diabetes, creating a, a confluence of events that are very, very dangerous. I've been asked to consult on, on patients who are in India, who have family members here who have reached out to me. And the doses of steroids that we are seeing used are truly staggering, up to 200 milligrams of methylprednisolone a day, you know, at rates of three milligrams per kilogram, just truly very high rates of disease. And the, the recent data has suggested about 87% of people who have mucor have received steroids. This does not appear to be different amongst people who did not have hypoxia and probably shouldn't have ever received steroids. IDSA and the CDC present the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. Timely COVID-19 information curated by clinicians for clinicians. Be the first to know. Visit IDSA's COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network for the latest COVID-19 resources for the frontline healthcare community. Go to covid19learningnetwork.org. There's been a lot of discussion about where the mucor is coming from in these patients, including contaminated oxygen, cow dung, and others. Um, and, and you have both mentioned the just high rates of, of mucor in this area. Uh, Dr. Speck, what more can you tell us about where this mucor is coming from? It's a ubiquitous fungus. I like to say that it's it reminds me of that song from the police from the 1980s. It, it's every breath you take. It's literally in you all the time, and our, our immune system normally deals with it. A lot has been made about uh, use of industrial oxygen as opposed to medical oxygen. Mucor dies at 100% oxygen. Very few organisms can actually survive such high concentrations of oxygen for prolonged periods of time. Cow dung does not appear to be very much of a factor. Uh, it does not appear to be commonly associated with its growth because the bulk of it in nature lies in wet rotting vegetation. And there's a really good data that was from Northern India earlier this year in 2020, suggesting that as we get into the warmer, wetter months of the monsoon season, the spore counts dramatically increase. And so the answer is it's not where it's coming from, it's the patient that matters. Because just about every person in India is probably exposed to this fungus every single day and yet they're not all developing it. So it's the patient side that we need to focus on more. Dr. Schwartz, what more can be done to lower the number of mucor cases now? Are there actionable things that could help in both the short term and the long term? So in the short term, the most important way to curb the mucormycosis epidemic is to get COVID-19 under control in India. And we know the fastest way out of this nightmare is through non-pharmacologic public health interventions and particularly vaccination. Now, at the same time, it's important to curb the inappropriate use of steroids. A recent study from India found that among patients with mucormycosis, two-thirds had received uh, uh, steroids inappropriately, either in patients for whom it was not indicated or prescribed at durations or doses that were in excess of uh, recommendations. So we need to make sure that steroids are being used appropriately. In addition, we need to be paying attention to glycemic management. It's important to realize that SARS-CoV-2 is an infection that, as with any other serious infection, can cause stress hyperglycemia, 
but it can also infect the islet beta cells and it's thus diabetogenic. So it can unmask uh, or worsen existing diabetes. And so it's important that patients, uh, even those without known diabetes, have monitoring of their sugar levels and uh, strict glycemic control. In the longer term, it's critical that this epidemic spurs a focus and investment into research on neglected fungal diseases like mucormycosis. The field of medical mycology is chronically neglected and underfunded. We know that fungi kill more than one and a half million people a year, and yet the funding is paltry compared to that for bacterial or viral diseases. So if anything, the mucormycosis epidemic has exposed the primitive nature of our diagnostic and management tools for this disease. There are currently no biomarkers or serologic tests or really anything short of seeing the fungus in tissue and growing it. And of course, at that point, it's fairly advanced in the disease process. We need to be able to detect this disease earlier before it becomes so devastating. And we need better tools for treating this infection. And we also need more research to be able to uh, learn how we can prevent infection in the first place. Dr. Speck, Dr. Schwartz just mentioned that we need better tools for treating this infection, among so many other things. And given the shortages of antifungals, are there effective options for treating the infection now? And are they readily available in India? The most important treatment for uh, rhinocerebral mucor is surgery. This is a true, unadulterated medical and surgical emergency, meaning that minutes and hours that it takes to get a patient into the operating room and to get the antifungal into their vein are paramount. Surgery should be aggressive and early, and that is probably the best predictor of how well people do. Now, on top of that, the mucor has invaded well past the margins that the surgeons can ever operate on. And so the use of antifungals is an important adjunct. The most commonly aggressively early antifungal to be used is amphotericin, either in its lipid one of the lipid compound structures or deoxycholate. Unfortunately, because of supply chain disruptions, the whole world has had a shortage of amphotericin on and off for the last year. And that's of all the different formulations. Now, the other drugs that we can use are posaconazole and isaviconazole, both very good drugs, often more used in the maintenance phase than in the early phase, but could be used early on. But the problem with them is that they're relatively expensive and as such, not uh, easily accessed in much of the uh, low to middle income countries. And then some people in India have been using itraconazole. Itraconazole doesn't really have any clinical data to suggest that it works in mucormycosis, and we never use it for that purpose when we have access to all the other medications. However, there are some in vitro studies and some uh, mice studies that suggest that some of the metabolites might actually have some mucor activity, and the drug is pennies compared to tens of dollars if not more, hundreds of dollars per pill. And so there has been a lot of off-label use of itraconazole when the others have not been available. 
it certainly falls in the category of altered level of care. And there's a lot of concern that what the outcomes will be. Some people do survive, but I'm, you know, it is a, it is a approach that I would be very weary of. The biggest problem is the cost of these medications and the cost of antifungals worldwide is a big burden. Ultimately, access becomes an issue because as Elon alluded to much earlier, the rate of rise of cases is just profoundly staggering. You know, we're talking about uh, going from one to two cases a year and the hospitals are ready to have that much antifungals on hand to 500 at a time. The numbers are so mind boggling that any system would crumble to deliver medications at that rapid expansion. So a lot of people in India have really not been able to reach definitely the first line agents of amphotericin, posaconazole, and aceviconazole, but even some cases, not even itraconazole has been available to patients. And that is a sobering moment for us. Dr. Speck, is there anything people in India can do to protect themselves? Absolutely. So one of the things that's important to know about this is what should we be looking at? If they're prescribed steroids, the first thing they should do is make sure that they're not getting too high a dose of steroids. The appropriate dose of steroids is six milligrams of dexamethasone. Getting really high doses would not be most of the time in their best interest. Second, if they're not having hypoxia, if they're not having low oxygen concentrations, then there's no need for steroids at all. Third, if they're actually prescribed steroids, even at the appropriate dose, people should be controlling their sugars. That means if they're diabetic, aggressively checking their sugars at home and making sure that they never go too high. If they're not diabetic, they should still at least a couple of times during the duration of therapy, check their sugars to make sure that they didn't develop diabetes from the steroids, which is a common occurrence. And then on top of that, they really should be careful about the over-the-counter and herbal homeopathic medication environments. Because currently what's happening in India is steroids are also being sold over-the-counter. And we are also seeing the rise of polypills that have incredible mixes of combinations of drugs, including uh, a single pill that has zinc, azithromycin, hydroxychloroquine, high-dose steroids, and ivermectin in a single pill. And people are buying it as a quote-unquote COVID medication. These things are much more likely to cause significant problems for patients, especially when used over-the-counter outside of the hands of an experienced physician. And then on top of that, there's also been a rise of COVID herbal and homeopathic medications in India. And when I've been talking with some of my colleagues in India, they have told me that some people taking those medications have developed a lot of the same side effects as though they were taking high-dose steroids, suggesting that you might be buying, you know, echinacea, for example, uh, which is what it says on the label, but in reality, there's also 50 milligrams of dexamethasone in there. Be really careful of those medications, and I would recommend not using them at all because they have no proven benefit. However, our likely to be adulterated with steroids, which could lead to hyperglycemia and other risk factors for mucor. This last question is for both of you. 
Is there a role for the U.S. to play in responding to this added complication to an already dire situation in India? Dr. Schwartz, why don't we start with you? As the U.S. and Canada emerge from the pandemic, it is really critical to realize that most of the world remains in the throes of this nightmare and lack the access to the public health uh, interventions and specifically to vaccines that are required to end it. In my opinion, the most important way that North American countries can help India and other countries that are suffering a similar fate is through the equal redistribution of vaccines. In the longer term, the U.S. can lead the way in investing in research and in implementation science to provide Indian doctors with the tools to prevent, diagnose, and treat mucormycosis and other neglected fungal diseases of poverty. Thank you. And Dr. Speck, any final thoughts? In the short term, the most important thing for us to do is to prevent as much COVID as we can. Ultimately, in India, what that would mean, the U.S. involvement should be in the short term, is helping India get access to vaccines. The United States, we currently sit on a very large treasure trove of AstraZeneca vaccines, which are unlikely to ever be approved in the U.S. because nothing has been submitted to the FDA, to the best of my knowledge. And we really should not sit on those. We should get them into action in the places that are most hardest hit, such as India. We should work on using our wealth and our privilege to acquire further vaccines for other countries to share them to help stamp out their epidemic in the short term. We should also work with Indian epidemiologists to see if we have any best practices. Our epidemiologists have any best practices that can be of help to them in India that maybe can help decrease the spread of coronavirus or decrease the use of over-the-counter steroids or high-dose steroids by targeting uh, consumer behavior, by targeting physician behavior, and by targeting manufacturer and retailer behavior. And then ultimately, we do need to partner with our Indian colleagues as much as we can to help drive research into MUCOR so that we understand what happened fully. Were there other factors that we don't know? There's a lot of factors that have been suggested, but we don't really know if they are if they are truly there so we can understand them learn from them grow from them as a field and maybe as elon was talking about earlier get better at diagnostics get better at treatment we shouldn't let this pass without us knowing more about mucor and being better at treating patients with mucor in 2022 At this time, I'd like to thank Dr. Schwartz and Speck for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Amanda Jessick. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.